Thanks for tuning in to Christian Medical and Dental Association's chapel. May the message be a blessing to you. It was a long time ago, August 1994. I had just come on at CMDA probably about two weeks earlier. We were in Dallas, where our headquarters were at that time for you newbies. And um, John Embody, who I had brought with me from Samaritan's Purse, he had worked in communications there and was our first communications director, walked into my office. We've been having discussion already about how to help CMDA to grow. And at that time, CMDA had a, a small number of bioethical position papers. One of those was on abortion, and the big thing in the news was the second big bioethical issue in those days, and that was Oregon was beginning to debate whether to legalize physician-assisted suicide. And something was in the news that morning, and John walked into my office and said, we should send out a news release. I said to him, I have never done that before. <laughs> he said, well, well, I have, and, and we have a position paper on uh, this issue that's in the news. And we were in pretty serious financial straits at the time, a lot of issues, and we sat there and discussed whether we could afford it. I sent him back to find how much it would cost. It was going to be 500 bucks, which was a major decision back in those days. And um, he, we discussed what we were going to put in it. He wrote a draft. I edited it, and out it went. The next day, the L.A. Times, the, uh, well, the Associated Press showed up at the door, and we were in the L.A. Times, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. I go, wow, I didn't expect that. Uh, they had pictures and everything, but even brought a photographer to our office. And that's how CMDA got into public policy. Looking back, that was God's timing, because since then has been a cascade of bioethic issues. And the one that you know most about right now is just what happened with the Dobbs decision on the whole abortion issue. Something that seemed almost impossible to happen in this country and all the conflict that's going on over that from demonstrations and everything else. So this morning, for you old timers, as some of this may be a review for you new timers, I think you need to hear this and we all need to be reminded of it. To go back and look at the basic issues having to do with life. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be human. And then we're going to take that, and it may, not, it may go into next month, and look at that in some detail in specific areas. Because I think it's more important than ever that we have a basic understanding to how to communicate these issues to other people in your church, in your community, even in your own family, where people... Uh, may be asking questions or may disagree with you vehemently. I was, uh, we had my daughter Jessica and her family with us this weekend. She just come from her sister-in-law, who's very pro-choice. And they got into some uh, interesting discussions last week when they were there. These issues are more than just abortion, though. I remember uh, one of our members uh, was down at Wake Forest University, and I met with him, and he said, I'd like to talk to you about something. And He's told me his story. They had had infertility and gone to uh, a, uh, a specialist in that area. Uh, they had tried a number of different things and finally were left with in vitro fertilization. That she was going to donate eggs, he was going to donate the sperm. 
they were going to make the embryos in the lab. In those days, uh, you fertilized all the embryos that you got. It was not a pleasant procedure to get hyperstimulated and multiply ovulate one month and harvest those embryos. And, uh, but they did that and harvested 12 embryos and fertilized them, or 12 eggs and fertilized them, had 12 embryos, implanted two, and lo and behold, the first attempt she got pregnant. They were thrilled. They were going to have a baby, a cute little girl. Well, she had had these infertility problems after the pregnancy. They thought, well, she'd still have problems. So two months, three months later, they found out she was pregnant with twins the old-fashioned way. Parents moved in. The church started helping. They had three babies going to be under 12 months of age. She went on birth control. The twins were born. Parents are living there in the house, helping them with this starting out. Three months later, she got pregnant again. They had five girls under the age of two. And ten babies in the freezer. I remember he was sitting down to talk to me about that. What do we do? What's the right thing? They did the right thing. Even though he laughed and said, I don't have any more room in the van for babies, chairs, she went back and they had all those babies a couple at a time implanted and she didn't have any more pregnancies. But these are practical issues. Physician-assisted suicide is spreading. By the time some of you are in the hospital with a terminal illness or at home with a terminal illness in hospice, it may be legal in Tennessee. California is inviting you to come there. You're welcome to be a tourist to get yourself killed in that state. Uh, new treatments that have implications. There was a huge thing with COVID because one of the vaccines was made with fetal cells from an aborted fetus. Some people did not have that vaccine because of that issue. And things you haven't even begun to think of are going to be issues before long. Everything from genetic enhancement to chimeras, putting tissues from one or more species together, that's already happening in the lab, or genetic information from one species to another. What if you could implant a gene in all our soldiers that would give them the eyesight of an eagle or the strength of a gorilla? What would that do for our military? Wouldn't that be tempting? I mean, we could conquer and fight, and these, oh, the list of stuff just goes on and on. So this basic question of what it means to be human is becoming more and more important. And first of all, we need to realize something that you know, but what does it mean that as humans we're made in God's image? It says over in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The image of God means an essence, a nature, unlike anything else of his creation that we possess because he made us the peak of his creation. For that reason, he gave man dominion over the creation, over everything else, demonstrating our moral worth and our stewardship responsibility. Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move around on the ground. 
So God is making it very clear in his word that we're not like all the rest of his creation, that we have a special place. And because of that special place, unlike the animals, we can know there is a God. Look at uh, Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has been made, so that men are without excuse. We just got back from Africa. Mike, you saw, I heard you saw my picture last week because Mike took it when he was there at Tinwick. And uh, boy, the grandkids were so excited. We got out on the plains and they, look, there's a giraffe there. Oh, wow, what's, what's that, Grandpa? But you know, in all the times I've been out with the wild animals, probably over 50 different trips out there when we were actually at Tinwick taking visiting staff, I never saw any animals creating a place of worship. They didn't try to put, you know, stones in a circle or do anything else. But all men worship something. Even atheists do. You know what atheists worship? They worship themselves. There is no God. I'm my own God. But you find that everywhere. I remember Jody and I went to speak at the ICMDA meeting, International Christian Medical Dental Association meeting in Taiwan, and we stayed a few days over and had a, a Christian guide, a friend of a missionary I knew that was taken around. He took us to a temple, and that's the picture of it while we were there. And I looked out as we were walking around the parapods. I don't know if that's going to work on the screen. But you can see that there's smoke coming out of this tower, and down below there's a line of people. I said, what in the world's going on? When you walked into the temple, you could buy bundles of fake money. And then they would come and put it in there and burn it as an offering to God. I'm thinking, don't they think their God knows that it's fake? <laughs> but that's how they were worshiping. And if you go anywhere you go, even up to the most remote areas, and I've been up in West Pokot, area of Kenya, Sudan, people are worshiping something because they know that there is some sort of God, though they may not know the God. Because we are made in God's image, we can fellowship with God. Over in Genesis 3.8, back in their early uh, part, right after creation, and men and women had sinned, it said, Then man, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. See, what had been happening before that time is every evening he came and fellowshiped with them. And because of that sin, the fellowship was broken. But God still wanted fellowship with his creation. If you look over in Exodus 20, 24, he said, Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle, wherever I cause my name to be honored, and I will come to you and bless you. If you New Testament, Christ comes and through his sacrifice, we can have a personal relationship with God through the mediator, Christ Jesus, because God desires fellowship with human beings. Fellowship with every member of the Trinity is possible. You look over at 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 1 John 1, 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son 
and Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus Christ. So because of God's desire for that fellowship, he made it possible to restore that relationship. Made in God's image, we have a conscience. We have an innate sense of right and wrong that God gave us. Now, it can be blunted, it can be damaged, people can do terrible things, but he gave us that discernment. We feel good about doing good, we feel bad when we do evil. Paul talked about this, uh, Acts 24, 16, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. Romans 9, 1, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Animals don't have this. We went out the plains with me and we had the privilege of seeing a lion kill a wildebeest. It doesn't feel bad afterwards. That's just an instinct. That's just nature. But if you accidentally killed somebody going home this afternoon, you would feel terrible if it was your fault. We have free will because we're made in God's image. To a lesser degree, we have God-like capacities. Well, maybe not be something you've thought about, but it's interesting to, to think about this. We have self-awareness or consciousness. We, you know that you exist because he is the great I am. He knows he exists. We know we exist. We know that he exists. We have rationality. The ability to understand an ordered world that God created. Others of his creation can't do that. That's how science is possible. That's why you have physicians. That's why you have scientists that discover things. Because we can understand through rationality and learn from the ordered world that God created. We have the ability to love. Animals don't love. They mate, but they don't love. They don't have sacrificial love. We can do this because why? God is love. We have that capacity. We have the ability to communicate at a much higher level. I mean, birds can tweet in the trees and let other birds know they're there. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we can communicate at a high level through writing, through speaking, uh, abstract ideas, because... He is the word of God. Hebrews 2, 6, 7 says this. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you can care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. So because we're made in God's image and we're humans, we are persons from our earliest moment of development. That's a sperm entering an egg on electron microscope. And once it's there, and that genetic information comes together, that is a new human being. Now, most people in this day and time will say, yes, it's, it's, it's a human being, but many of them say it's not a person. And we're gonna get into that. But let's go a few other places first. First of all is to understand this. There is a continuity of development. A continuity of development. Uh, you develop and mature into what you already are, a human being, a person. Uh, you were you when you were the smallest you. You were still you. 
David talked about original sin beginning at fertilization, Psalm 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The whole idea of original sin, sin, because we're moral beings, animals are not. The world says embryos and the unborn are potential persons. God says we are persons with potential. In other words, when you're that and I were that one cell embryo and begin to divide, that was me. We'll talk more about that. And God created us and knew us from the moment of fertilization. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This is David speaking. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In Hebrew, that term unformed substance is translated that is actually the word for embryo. And uh, all human beings can... Uh, many people would say, oh, yes, you have inestimable worth as, as a person, uh, but not in the womb. You have little or no worth as an embryo. We can sacrifice that. We can destroy it. We can use it for scientific experimentation. We can abort it, whatever we want to do. But when you destroy an embryo, you destroy a specific, irreplaceable individual is gone. The easiest way to understand that is you were you when you were an embryo. One ethicist on the President's uh, Bioethical Council, this was back in early 2000s when they were debating embryonic stem cell research, let's sacrifice embryos so we can create stem cells and cure Parkinson's disease and every other disease known to man. That didn't work out, but they made all sorts of promises and they put together this Bioethics Council actually to give the President a little uh, coverage. And, uh, but one of the advisors on that had a, a moment of reality. He said this to the others there, how can we say that we, profoundly respect, we have profound respect for human embryos and then justify killing them? Because they were talking about, oh yes, we respect these, but you know, we need to do the greater good. Let me give you one bioethical term. Each of us as individuals maintain our ontological identity. That just means the, how you are in the order of things, that you are a human being. Thus, if adults are persons, so is the one-cell embryo. Uh, as I said before, you were you when you were an embryo. Uh, this is uh, the pattern. You see the embryo appear in all these different stages of development. I went through that. You went through that. You were you at that point. Uh, I was reading a news report a number of years ago, and uh, it was in the major news. They had found this guy in France who had killed his girlfriend, cut her into pieces, and put her in a footlocker in the closet and fled to France. They didn't know where he had fled to. And it was years later that they found him and arrested him and brought him back to the United States for travel. Now, the world says that personhood is based on your capabilities. So what if he had stood in court and said this? Well, I, I'm no longer that person. I don't dress like I used to dress. I dress French, you know. I speak French. I, I have all this knowledge I didn't have then. So I'm not guilty because I'm not the same person I was then. Do you think he would have gotten off? 
Obviously not. But that's the reasoning about how this whole thing about you aren't a person when you're an embryo or you're a fetus. And some people who think you're not even a person after you're born for a number of years because you don't have certain capabilities and abilities, which is really a ridiculous concept, but it's common, and we're going to get into that. Um, so how do we fend this in the public square? And, you know, I've given you the biblical basis, and we need to understand that as we're talking to other Christians and be able to articulate it. But how do you communicate this in the public square? And uh, one thing that we can, can talk about is from our most basic documents. Uh, personhood is also based on the whole system of individual inherent rights. The Declaration of Independence says, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are the rights to life, to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the word endowed means that they're God-given. Some court can't take them away. President can't take them away. Congress can't take them away. God has given to them, and they are inalienable. They cannot be removed. You can forfeit them. If you go out tonight and kill someone and they put you in prison, they can execute you because you forfeited your right to life by that action. But for other reasons, they cannot just come into your home and shoot you because, well, they just didn't like you very much. That person would be put in prison. You have this inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founders put that very early in the Declaration of Independence. But what do you do when there's a conflict between your inalienable rights? And that's the basis for a lot of the things that have gone wrong in this country because that wasn't understood. Uh, John Patrick, most of you have been here a long time, know John. I remember when he spoke on this, got the idea from the president of Gonzaga College who had written on it, Gonzaga University who had written on this, and the idea of how do you stratify inalienable rights? Which one trumps another? Uh, and he said, there's a hierarchy of rights. Uh, and that's what the Supreme Court got wrong in Roe versus Wade and the Dred Scott cases. And we'll talk a little bit about the Dred Scott case. Anybody know what that is? If you know your history, that was the other most terrible Supreme Court decision in history of the United States. It was back in 1957, I'm sorry, 1857. Uh, when it, they were debating over um, slavery. I just recently listened to the biography of Lincoln, and it, they talked about this in there, and the impact. This was probably the most provocative, provocative act that precipitated the war. But there was a slave, his name was Dred Scott, and uh, he had married, and uh, he had moved with his wife to a free state, but then came back to a state uh, where he was not free. And uh, this case said that he should be free, but now he was enslaved again. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court said was that all slaves were just property. When you talk about the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, pursuit of happiness means the ability to own and enjoy possessions. It's the right to property. 
And they said, no, Dred Scott is just property. In fact, all uh, African-Americans, they weren't Americans then, they were just slaves, are just property. What they did is was said that the, the right to slavery superseded the right to property by the slave owners superseded the slave's right to liberty. See, what happens is you have to look at which liberty is necessary to have before the next one can be enjoyed. Let me explain that. If you are dead, the right to property doesn't make any difference. The right to liberty doesn't make any difference. You have to be alive to enjoy that. So that means the right to, to life supersedes those other two rights. If you don't have liberty, you can't own property. Slaves couldn't own property. They had nothing. So to say that liberty is the more basic right and it trumps the right to property, but the Supreme Court got it wrong. We had a civil war over that. Hundreds of thousands of people died in that because of that situation. Well, then there was Roe versus Wade. And actually, they, they, they reasoned a number of things, but they didn't go back and look at the, this whole hierarchy of inalienable rights. But they said this, a woman's right to liberty, my body, my right, supersedes the baby's right to life. That's where they got it wrong. And that is uh, a very basic concept that is interesting to bring up when you're talking to people about this. They said the baby wasn't a person and therefore it was just property. So it was just property to be disposed of by whoever owned it. My body, my right. Don't mess with my body. Of course, the baby's not the mother's body. It's a separate body, a separate entity, a separate person but they consider it and acted like it was just property. So understanding this inalienable right must be present before another inalienable right can be exercised supersedes it. And uh, this hierarchy is very important to understand. Personhood is based on capability markers. This is what the other side says. And we're gonna stop here and then we're gonna get into some more specifics maybe next month in a lot of these issues. Personhood is not based on capability markers, but this is what they say. It's your rational attributes, your ability to be self-aware, your ability to reason, be able to interact with the environment in I can never say the word, sentence, ability to experience consciousness, ability to feel pain, ability to feel pleasure, emotional responses. That's what makes you a human being. I mean a person. You may be a human being, but you're not a person until you can do these things. Uh, see, if you decide an arbitrary list like this and says this is what makes you a person, then somebody decides whether you're a person or not. And if you're not a person, they can do a lot of things to you you're not going to like very much. Because uh, if you can exclude embryos and fetuses because they don't have this, then what about the elderly? What about the disabled? In fact... Two weeks ago, I had a colonoscopy. And after I got in there, got in the gown, got on the stretcher, you know, they came in, started an IV, and they gave me a little injection. And all of a sudden, I wasn't self-aware. I couldn't reason. I couldn't interact with the environment. I wasn't conscious. I didn't feel pain. I didn't feel pleasure. I did after it was over, but emotional responses. 
So then a person under anesthesia is not a person. Well, you know, but you're going to get that back. Well, so's the baby. The baby's going to develop all those abilities as well if you don't terminate it. See, if personhood is bestowed for any arbitrary reasons, it can be taken away for any arbitrary reasons. And uh, these attributes can say the same thing about a newborn baby, the mentally handicapped, those who are comatose, anesthetized, or other reasons that other people can come up with to say, no, these are not persons, we can do this to them. And these type of things are extremely dangerous and takes us down a path that we're beginning to see in the United States, including on issues that uh, you've probably not even thought about. We're going to pick this up later and dig into this aspect of it and see where things are going and look at some specific issues and give you some information that may be helpful as these op uh, topics come up as you're talking to other people. Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, this is deep stuff. We know you care about it. You care about each person you've created, no matter what their stage of development. And Lord, in this time, with all this conflict over the abortion ruling and people talking about these issues and angry about these issues, we need to have a firm foundation of understanding of how to interact with people and a firm understanding of why we believe what we believe. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors to our friends, our communities, our families, to speak the truth in love and speak for life. And we'll give you praise for what you're going to do in your son's name. Amen.